This is Van Electric Ghost. We're live on the air for the first time with Raina Bach. Welcome to the Van Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm really well, Phantom. So great to be here. Yeah. I want to let people know well. we are a featured podcast. Oh, oh thank you. Um, yeah, just to let everybody know, we're a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that icon up there. And uh, if you see the scroll below, there's a coupon code. So you can check that out and listen for free on that platform. We are a featured podcast platform show on Newsly. And we will be on Newsly later tonight with the audio-only version of this episode. What we want to also let people know who are just listening is we have Raina Box um, URL up. It's RainaBach.com. And you'll be able to fully click on that and go to that when we're published on all the platforms. And today, this episode is actually episode 1019 of the Family Let the Ghost podcast, tracking out on Apple Podcasts since 2016. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, this topic, what is joy and how is it different than happiness? And so before we, we get into that, maybe you can give the folks a little bit about background um, about your your life. I know you're an executive lifestyle coach and uh, you've been in leadership positions in the private sector, but maybe you want to give a little bit of background. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I yeah, I've been doing uh, people and leadership development for about uh, actually over 30 years. And I've worked in uh, private sector, a lot in the high tech industry, as well as the financial industry. And uh, I've done some work with the federal government. And so, yeah, that's what I, I do. It took me a while to kind of find my swim lane with my, my work and my career. And um, yeah, I just love it. I love helping people find their, uh, what makes them tick, their purpose in life to bring them uh, joy and fulfillment. Yeah. That's interesting because um, you know, I'm I'm a podcast host and I'm a I'm a I'm a musician, but my day job is I'm a software developer. I'm, oh. I'm a software person, and I I, I work in consulting, so it, it affords all my toys. Because if it's a musician, <laughs> I want to buy my my keyboards and my guitars and all that. But I found a way to kind of be creative with both the left and right side of my brain. The thing I did that changed like five years ago is I got off the road. I was a road warrior. I was always oh, going wow. on planes from like Sunday to Thursday. And I said, well, you know what? I can't do my music. I can't do podcasting. I can't do the stuff I want to do. If I'm not in the airport, I'm not in Uber, I'm not on the plane, then I actually have time to do the things I really love. So I found a way to balance my life with my art and responsibilities and be able to not be a starving artist, but mm. be able to do it the way I want. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's like trying to find joy and happiness is I think you have to find that balance. Like if you find out you're doing too much and it's not making you happy, right? And you're, you're yeah. actually satisfying somebody else, but you're not satisfying yourself. Like, is that really what you want to do? Yeah. That, I mean, and I really commend you, Phantom, for creating that um something that really works for you because you can pay the bills and more and buy uh, the equipment and keep up your artistry as a musician. And um, a lot of people struggle with that because they, they tend to stay in a world of here's what I'm good at and here's what I should do. So it's either the combo and uh, or one or the other. And, and so they kind of they and they, they forget about what used to bring them joy, make their their heart sing when they were younger. Right. And so you found a way to do it. So with that creative spark, you know, can I find like in in information technology, there's a lot of creative people, you know, they come up with AI. You came up with all these ideas, you know, there's like video games and there's a lot of stuff we build that doesn't exist, right? We come up with ideas yeah. that are very kind of fanciful. And so yeah. we're always relearning. We're always, you know, it, it changes. Like what you knew five years ago is not what you know today. In six yeah. months is what I, I know I need to know something else. And so yeah. you have to kind of be a student. Some people yeah. don't want to be in a career where they have to be a student for their whole career. Yeah. They kind of want to know that it's going to be this and I'm going to be able to repeat it. And I don't got to really stretch myself and kind of push myself into something I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, some people are just wired that way and that's great. 
And then um, people like you and I, we, we were wired a little bit differently. And it's that continual learning, the juice of, of almost having to learn, right, for you staying up as a software developer and um, keeping that part of yourself filled. Because it's a, it's a job that doesn't stay still, right? It, you are yeah. always evolving <laughs> as a human in the work you do. Yeah, that's kind of hard because a lot of people want to know. Yeah. You know, when I become a consultant, it's like that nine to five. Well, there's, there's not exactly certainty. You could have downtime. You could have oh, a project yeah. over, then you got to get the next project. There could be a period of time where you're not you're not working. And so, yeah. but, you know, I, I tend to be in a situation where I'm more, more optimistic because once you have a rep, then that goes away because people come to you, you have to, you have to like reject projects. Yeah. So like basically you yeah. start to get enough of a name recognition in your field and then you can say what you want to work on and what you don't want to work on and when you're mm -hmm. ready for the next thing i got people prepped to know when i'm ready to roll off and then go to the next thing and so it's a, it's not like the nine to five certainty and some people can't deal with that they gotta know that hey, i'm yeah. gonna be here yeah. i'm gonna be in this place and it's gonna be this routine because that makes them feel comfortable yeah and um, uh, I have a good friend who's like that, where she she likes everything that's predictable down to um, what time she gets up in the morning and what her day looks like. And, and she finds comfort, like you said, comfort in that. And um, and that's great. You know, by the way, I used to be a software developer my first year out of college. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but I, I think that's, yeah, you're, you're really, some people don't like that. Some do. Right. And you kind of have to go. It, I always encourage people to push their boundaries of comfort. Mm -hmm. And even if it's something small, right. Um, the thing, there's an analogy that I use and for some people making those little changes to expand their comfort zone, it's kind of like moving around a Rubik's, Rubik's cube. cube. You're kind of tweaking yeah. it just a little bit. <laughs> And then for yeah. some people who like to do um, a full-on change of life, which I've done three times, it's it's the Etch-a-Sketch, right? This little thing, you're drawing life mm -hmm. for a little while, you turn it around, and, ooh, I'm going to start over again Gone. with a blank yeah, slate. Start so. over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like when we're a musician, there we have I have a tool you know, called an analog modular set. And it's kind of like a telephone operator back in the old days with its wires. And you can remap the whole instrument. And so to create wow. any tone that you create, you have to take the wires and plug them into different sockets. And it's it does it's not digital, so it doesn't remember anything. It has to re it only remembers what you plugged in and settings that you set. So it's like point in time. So in wow. order to ever recall that, you have to take a snapshot of it and kind of mm -hmm. rebuild it like a Lego set. Right. Wow. And then once you wipe it out, it's gone. And wow. then when you wipe that out, you have to start all over again from scratch and build your tone from scratch. Mm -hmm. And I, I like it because it drives me into places I don't know where I'm going. I, mm. I have no idea wh where it's going to come out. And mm. I find that to be very inspiring because a lot of people like to just clone what exists. But if you do something where you're going to go, where you don't, you, you might have an idea that the square waves makes it sounds like a bass. And a triangle mm -hmm. sounds like a bell, but what mm -hmm. type of bell? And if mm -hmm. you start to merge things or invert things, it goes kind of weird. And so mm -hmm. when you get into sound design, which I do as a hobby, wow. as a musician, it, 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 it always has this kind of different outcome. And I can have a, a framework, but mm -hmm. I can go and reject the framework by going and doing something that kind of breaks the rules. Hmm. I can invert something or reverse something or do negative polarity. There's all kinds of weird things you can do with engineering and electricity and waves. Wow. And I find that that's kind of like in life, the happy accident or you <laughs> go to do a speech, right? And you have a set thing you're going to say, but then you read mm -hmm. the room and mm -hmm. you, read, you heard what the other people were saying that came on before you. And you say, well, what I was going to say doesn't really match the mood of what's going on right now. Yeah. So when you make that adjustment in real time, you live in the present moment. And you don't just stay to the plan. You adjust to like the now. 
Mm. Well, you know what? I, I think under that tells me, Phantom, is that you trust. You trust yourself. You trust the outcome. And that speaker, right, trust the outcome, trust him or herself, right, to, to be able to say, yes, I've got this and I'm going to live in the moment. I'm going to do it and just stay here versus having everything planned out and sticking to the script because you, you miss opportunities that, that, um, that are there, but you just pass them by because you're so tied to a, a, a swim lane, a script. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's what I find is happiness for me is, is living on that kind of, um, bleeding edge that makes me forces me to be a little, to be uncomfortable sir, to a certain degree. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. then you trust the muse, you trust that you're, you're a creative type of person, whether I'm doing software design or music or art, that mm -hmm. I trust that I'm going to take the, what I've done in the past and be able to take the input of right now and come up with something. Yeah. And I'm out, I don't I have, you know, I just, you kind of trust in yourself that you can be in that present moment and the happy accident is actually worthwhile. Mm. That it's not something you don't, that you throw away. That I put a lot of happy accidents into the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, and I'm like, sure. and and some people they do that and they just put it on the shelf and they never put it in front of anybody. And I've run into yeah. tons of artists like paintings all over the room. Did you put any of these in the gallery? And like, no, I'm not ready. I'm like, it looks ready to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I you know, it, you brought up some really good points there, and um, one is the the present moment. And the other one is the inner critic, right? And so um, I, I call that like, for me, staying in the moment, it's the, um, the moments in the midst, right? Trying to stay present in the moment in the midst of everything that's going on. And, and so that's real, where I think real creativity lies and the real juice in our lives exists and the joy exists living in that present moment. Yes, we have to plan. We have to do lots of different things. But um, if if we can spend more time living in, in the moment, right, that is really, really key. Um, the other thing you said... Uh, is the talking about those artists who have art on the walls and who uh who, who haven't introduced it haven't brought it out to the world it's not ready yet right so possibly typically in my experience is it says they've got an inner critic voice that's louder and more active and getting in the way of them actually saying you know what here it is it's good enough right mm -hmm. when is good when is when is good enough good enough, right? Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've run into people being a producer and I run into like a young artist and they're like, they try to show me either something where they're trying to impress me that they can match like what's in the top 40. And they, or they're trying to show me that they know my work and they try to match something I already wrote. I said, mm. well, that already exists. I did it already. And this thing already exists because they did it already. What I want to hear is a song that you're scared to show anybody because mm -hmm. that's going to show me something that's worthwhile because I think what's in, what's important to me is, is, is finding the individual voice of the songwriter or the artist and making that work by making it mm -hmm. sound better, bringing out things that maybe they didn't know were there, but not radically changing it and trying to turn it into a ghost production. Well, I already have ghost productions. I already have stuff that I wrote. I don't need mm -hmm. to make it sound like me. Yeah. I'd rather make it sound like them. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's heard them. And that's why I want to work on it because I think mm -hmm. that's what's important. And there's people who don't do that. People who just want to clone and copy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd rather just accentuate the individual that, that is them. Yeah. I, I, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, I love that you you encourage your artists to find their inner voice and be and live their inner voice, right? And so there is, uh, we all have something to give in this world. We all have a unique set of gifts and talents. And for some reason, it playing the safe rate 
uh, safe route and, and going with something that's already been done or riffing off of what's already been done, right? Putting something out there that is uh, new and interesting and, and innovative or not, right? But it's you, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. it's the artist, right? Putting it out there and having having frankly the courage to put it out there. So how do people how do people respond when you uh, tell them to give you something that they're afraid to show anybody? <laughs> well, some people get really excited because no, most producers don't do that. Most producers tend to want you to clone something they've already done because yeah. they go on the algorithm and think that's got a million listens and so we got to clone that so they tend to just repeat their work and and do it in kind of sneaky ways like just changing something about it mm -hmm. but it's still kind of in the same ballpark mm -hmm. and it's kind of like okay well people get to accept that and then you hear a lot of stuff that sounds the same it's like why does that all sound the same because everybody's staying safe it's when once in a while you get the dylan you get the lou reed you get, you know, you get a little Freddie Mercury, you get somebody that's individual and it's like, wow, why are they so different? Because they had the courage to kind of push it, like Hendrix. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hendrix is one of my, you know, famous, because he went to the studios and he did stuff and the engineers told him, like, you can't put that on record, that's feedback. You can't do the mm -hmm. stuff you're doing, it's too loud. And he forced it, he said, that's the way it's going. And sometimes he actually yeah. went on the board, went on the mixing board and did it himself to make wow. sure it came out what he heard. So that's when you have somebody that's dedicated and believes what they're doing and it was nobody else was doing it. So mm. how do you get to that point? You get to that point where you feel that it should exist. Yeah. And it, yeah. that's where you try to get the you get the people to kind of build that courage. It's like, yeah, people should hear me. Yeah. People should, you know, and then you build up that once you build that confidence and people get like unstoppable. Because a yeah. lot of it is just like it's mindset. You jump on that stage and you believe it. It's the law of attraction. Then the, the crowd believes it. Mm. Then, then you start building and building. It's like, how does that happen? Can people start to believe in you because you believe in yourself? Yeah. It's amazing how that happens when you start believing yourself and, and how, how you show up in the world and how people react to that. If you just uh, own it, right? People just own yeah. it. This is who I am. This is the kind of music. Yeah, you got to own it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Really stand it's hard, in. It's hard, it's hard to be vulnerable. Well, say, it's hard to be vulnerable because people, people, well, people, well, people will attack you. You know, like when you're original, well, people will say that's garbage. People will personally attack you. And, and, and that's the hard part. And so, so many people, yeah. they can't stand, stand that initial barrage of negative feedback. Which, you know, it seems like a lot of times that initial negative feedback comes in, it's not very constructive and it shoots down the person and they don't, they don't have enough of a fortitude to go beyond it. And so then yeah. they can't get past it. It's that yeah. next person who actually gets hit with that and it says, Hey, I'm not stopping. Yeah. That's what's hard. That's mm -hmm. the hard thing because yeah. a lot of times, you know, failure in, as an artist is like, that's like 99% of what's going on. And like most of the time your pieces don't work, mm -hmm. right? It's once in a while they work. Yeah. And so if you gave up on the first hundred things, like it's 101 is the one that goes through. Like if you give up before 101, then you know, one's ever going to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't give up. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. thing is that people, it's, it's not an overnight process. It, you know, I've been writing since I was 17 and I've wow. had you know, like a lot of things that didn't work and things that have worked. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that stopped when they were 22, 23, 24. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're so surprised that I'm still going because I did it because I like it. I like playing the keys. <clears throat> like, I, so yeah. it doesn't matter if anybody likes it. I like playing the keys. So I'm yeah. not going to stop because I like to do it. Like if you were doing it for some other reason, other than you love music, yeah, then a lot of times there'll be enough reasons for you to stop. You have to yeah, decide it, what is the purpose and why are you doing what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think you really hit on something. And that is, um, who do you do it for? Right? Who, who are you doing this for? Are you doing for yourself or somebody else? And talk about the, the mm, talk about joy, right? And um, 
So if you do something because you enjoy it, enjoy it, then it's going to have some shelf life, right? I mean, look at you, you've been doing it for a while and other people left. And yes, there are some realities relative to, yes, I have to pay the bills and I've got to manage life and, and fit this in, but you've done that phantom, which is really incredible, super incredible. Um, but I was going to say, going back to, uh, the distinction that in my mind between joy and happiness um, is if you, well, I did some research with Colorado State University a number of years ago, a couple of their PhD students. And uh, we, we looked at really from a workplace perspective, looking at joy. And it was incredible when we started doing some research to figure out how is joy defined. It was pretty much all over the map, right? Um, you would find contradictory definitions of what joy is. And a lot of times, Joy would show up in search engines relative to spiritual, right? So mm. it's something with the spirit, something with um, whatever, you know, religion, but more spiritual, right? And, and it shows yeah. up in different religions, right? And so, I mean, for me, I, I think it is spirit, right? But how, how bringing it down into what is joy like every day? And um, I remember years ago, Phantom, uh, 20 years ago, somebody asked me, he said, Raina, what brings you joy? And I couldn't answer the question. I thought, oh. I'm like, it took me a week to actually think about what brought me joy. I know, weird, right? Because some people know exactly what brings them joy now. And, um, but for me, I had to go back and figure it out. And, um, I could answer that, right? I could answer his question now, but more importantly, that for me, the distinction between joy and happiness is happiness is comes to a person based on external events, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's something out in the world that that makes us happy, right? An experience, a person, a, uh, an event, um, getting married or whatever that might be, or getting divorced. <laughs> so it could be something like that, that, that might bring some joy. Uh, I'm sorry, happiness, but for me, joy is more of a well within mm -hmm. and it's, it's a place phantom, yeah. that we cultivate over time kids are born with this right because yeah. and it and it's, they it's a, it. <laughs> what's that? they don't overthink it they just experience it yes. they have it until, yes. until somebody tells them they shouldn't have it <laughs> yeah exactly uh not too many candy bars um but in my experience it it really is that the reservoir that is that that is in, in our hearts, in our souls, in our bodies, that um, regardless of what's happening out here, we can tap into this. And yeah. it's a reservoir that we can go to and find. Um, and there are definitely ways to cultivate it. And I have certain ways that I help my clients, but um, kind of tapping into that so that, hey, if you, somebody, uh, you lose your job or this or that, or something's going on out in the world that is, uh, could be super upsetting. It's like, it's that place within that you can tap into and recenter and find that inner calm, the inner peace to be able to, yeah, I still have that regardless, right? Yeah, so that's, that's, kind of, that's how I just well, it seems like, you know, when I've talked to creative people, it's kind of like when you're in um, the pocket or you're in um, the, the flow state. Like I've talked to like authors and they might be world building. They might be doing character design. But when they sit at their typewriter and they just go into a flow state and they write a whole chapter they didn't expect they were going to write, it just comes out. It kind of comes from the muse. And it's really that trusting yourself. It's kind of say if when I'm in a, if I'm playing jazz fusion with a group, and we we have a set piece, but we kind of go into this flow state, and we just kind of go in that moment, and it's not we kind of know how to read each other, and we're not even saying anything. We kind of just nodding and nonverbal right. communications. Like 
you you kind of are in a trance. If you're in that creative moment, the moment of that creation, whether you're a painter, <clears throat> an actor, method actor, musician, poet, you know, on stage doing a poetry jam, just making poetry at the moment. Mm. That to me is like that's that's what I find joy is, and then that moment of creating that thing, and I'm in this kind of trance state. And you know, if you ask me, like, well, how did that happen? I said, why well, just let it happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You weren't fighting it; you went with it, yeah. and you're smiling now, <laughs> just thinking about it. Yeah, it just it, that always makes me happy, and I've, I've always been able to. Um, you know, do it to a point where I have my studios is in my room. You know, all my yeah. all my gear is in my bedroom studio, my bedroom producer, literally, because it's stuff's right here. So if yeah. I just at any time I can do it. I don't have to go to the studio. And I know some artists that like they they have to physically go to a separate place to create their work, but I can do it pretty much here. Yeah. And I can go somewhere else too, but I can all, and because I like to create so much, I just do it all the time because it's just, wow. it's just part of my normal way of doing things. Like the, my, part of my daily process is to put things down. Yeah. Whether they're going to go anywhere or not, I put them down. It's just yeah. kind of like, like journaling. Yeah. It's like the, how I treat it. Well, you, you know, what's interesting. I, I, uh, I've heard from a number of artists that, um, being in the being in that flow, it it actually brings in more, right? Because you've said yes, right? Your whole being says yes to the flow, and so you're getting you're getting all of it, right? Versus, and it's not good or bad if somebody has an external studio or uh, creating music, producing music, or art, or whatever, or even writing, right? Um, but but you're somehow you've, you've just said yes to the flow. And so do you ever, do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and hit your studio? Yeah. Because it's right here. So, wow. I mean, sometimes, yeah. you know, things come to artists as dreams. You know, I've read a lot about some of my, you know, the heroes I love, you know, <laughs> the great artists I'm into from Dylan to Boris and Hendrix, all the Beatles. And they, they describe sometimes like, is this kind of either a waking dream or a real dream where things just came to them. Wow. And then they just woke up and they put the recorder on and I've got recorders. That I just put them on and boom, it, it will just take whatever idea I was, I come up with and it just, I'll just put it down and go back to bed. But like, you know, and I have portable devices <laughs> where I can just walk in the woods and I can do something like this. This thing can actually write a whole song and it's this small. Wow. And That's so amazing. Like, I just found things because I'm just the type of person that, like if I'm I'm going somewhere and I get an idea, like like I said, I can grab this thing and this thing can write a whole song. And oh I put headphones God. on and nobody even hear me doing it. I can write all the parts. And so it, there's a lot of tools today that allow people to to be very creative anywhere they are. Yeah. And so like I can be on vacation, I could be on a train, I could be on a plane, I could still be doing something. Wow. I could be sitting somewhere and still do this because I like I say, I don't close it off. Yeah. And sometimes I do. And if I go for, if I go mountain biking, I'm not writing a song. If I'm hiking mm -hmm. or canoeing, I'm not writing a song. If I'm walking in the woods, I might be thinking about something, but I'm in that different state. Yeah. Like I, 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 a lot of times what I think is I create people have to do. And I'm a Buddhist is I, I get, I chant, I meditate, I find mm -hmm. the quiet. And before anything ever gets created, usually in the quiet moment where you get the noise out, and you just let things be, you just go for like silence or just kind of peace, then mm -hmm. things come. So yeah. sometimes it's too noisy and you've got to close it off. Mm -hmm. And other times, then it will redirect. And so you, it's not like, like it's on all the time, mm -hmm. but sometimes you have to learn like when to listen and when not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah, it, it it's being able to, kind of give permission, but also say, Hey, I've got something I have to take care, care of here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that there's is... other things in life you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotta drive somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, that's really cool. I, I think that, um, just, I mean, one of the things you mentioned, even like wherever you are, right. You're allowing this to come, come forth. And, and that really is, I, I, I'm going to botch his name, but Chicks Mahalo talks about, he wrote a book on flow, flow state, mm. right? 
that it's that place where you're so in the moment that you're just so like one with your activity and and for you it's 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 this uh creative music right and and just being in that flow state where I don't know about you, but I, there are some things that I do when I'm in the flow state, like um, creating jewelry, making jewelry, or mm-hmm. uh, cooking. Yeah, cooking. I like cooking too. I like baking. I like yeah. cooking. I like being like creative to, with it. What do you like <laughs> to make? <laughs> well, I don't. I can make like uh, buckwheat pancakes and buckwheat cookies and organic type of cookies made with different type of flowers, like almond flowers and different things. Uh, oh, they yeah. create different. You know, most people just make a standard cookie, but if you take buckwheat or take almond flour or take tapioca flour, you can do other things. So I started, because I'm a diabetic, and I started learning how to use different types of uh, flours to make things that are less glycemic, but still Mm -hmm. taste good. Yeah. And use, like, not not using dairy, using, like, you know, different types of, uh, you know, almond butters and different butters, coconut oils, and, and, and figuring out how to cook so I wouldn't trigger my type two diabetes, but yeah. it, I kind of take it as a creative thing. I'll look at a recipe and say, well, what happens if I take this recipe? And then, you know, I've been cooking since I was 17 too, because my mom taught me. And oh, I said, well, just, well, you just kind of like, you know, if any good cook takes existing recipes and then alters them based on their own taste or what they yeah. choose to, to do. So I kind of do that. And sometimes mm-hmm. I, I'll go and I'll experiment with different things. Mm. And I find it like it's very similar. Like I do some video work and some artwork too. And I'm not the best artist, but I try to make the art work as a, as a whole picture. Like if you're doing music, like if you create something visual to go with it, from mm-hmm. the graphic art to the visual, uh, you know, video mm-hmm. art, then it creates a whole piece. And so a lot of yeah. times my projects are not just limited to the audio. They, there's some graphics and some video that go with it. And mm-hmm. so that gives me like a like a full expansive experience. I call it expansive sound. That's the genre I'm in. That mm-hmm. makes multiple forms from punk to fusion to mm-hmm. jazz to classical to psychedelic rock. It's like you can mix different genres in the same piece. Oh, and it's, so it's kind cool. of like what progressive rockers did, like Yes and Genesis and people like that. But it's like, you know, a lot of times people today want to stay in one lane. Say, oh, it's EDM. Oh, it's, it's uh, you know, trap. Or it's tr-. You know, I see a lot of people want to be so tied. And I said, well, what about like progressive experimental, which means I can cross multiple genres. Mm. Part of it could be bebop. Part of it could be punk. Part of it could be classical inspired with movements. And so why mm. not? Like a lot of people so want to control the frame and I'm like why not have a very wide frame and let more things come in <laughs> yeah I wonder um I mean you're you've been in this industry for a long time is that an industry thing because maybe they're thinking about how how am I going to be able to sell this right yeah so it A&R to likes them. to sell you know they, they yeah, it's easier yeah. for them for the, to say it's EDM it's easier for them to say it's hip-hop to say it's rock to say it's soul than to say I don't know what it is and then, yeah. that, you know, you get guys like Prince that used to be able to push it. Like in the same album, he'd have 10 different genres. He'd have, yeah. they, nothing would sound the same. And, yeah. and, you know, I was a big fan of him because he, he was one of the biggest popular artists to actually be an experimental artist and be popular. The mm. other guy that was like that was Bowie. Mm. Bowie used to force it. Mm. And people would deal with it. He would have yeah. an image like, like, uh, like, you know, when he created, um, the whole idea of um, when he first came out and he had that whole image of, he was like the space alien, right? And he's, he can play Ziggy Stardust. Mm-hmm. And he could have melted Ziggy Stardust for the whole decade. He didn't do it. He's mm-hmm. immediate switch to Latin and Saint and he switched to Thin White Duke. He would change personas and his A&R would get ticked off because he's like suddenly you're doing rock and then you go and do soul and then you mm. go do this and do that. He would switch and he didn't care. He's like, I don't care if it makes money or not. That's yeah. where I'm going. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times people don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, how far along in his career? You said he could have held on to um, 
is it Ziggy for well, like Ziggy is what kind but, of yeah, well, Ziggy yeah, they broke were, him. I mean, yeah. Ziggy what is what if that's you know, he had come out as David Jones. That was his original persona, was him. That was his real name. And then oh. it didn't work. He was kind of doing like this uh, Beatles stuff. And I've got copies of it. And it's really good. It sounds kind uh, of like Beatles stuff. And yeah. then it's like it wasn't working. Yeah. And then he did, you know, a space oddity, oddity. And then that kind of worked. And it was kind of like pre-Ziggy. And then he suddenly went totally into Ziggy. And the Ziggy mm. thing was very theatrical. And he came up mm. with this whole image. It was very androgynous. It was cutting edge. It, was, it wasn't... Was kind of jumping into places that nobody had been. He was jumping into New Wave 25 yeah. years before New Wave. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. He, and he and so he went into something, it was cross-genre. It was it was blues, rock, psychedelia, theatrical stuff. And it was like it was it was, it was like a lot of stage presence, a mm. lot of theater. It, mm -hmm. A lot of what Bowie does is theater, kind of like Freddie Murphy. It's all theater on yeah, top yep. of musicianship. And yeah. it was merging multiple forms and yeah. how you dressed and how you presented yourself was like theater. He's putting on like a stage play that's music. Mm. And the people started to get that. Yeah. And that's where he was. And yeah. that when he, he could have kept that because it was making a lot of money, mm -hmm. but then he decided to switch and he started working with Luther Vandross and did this like other album that had like soul tinge to it, which mm. was, wasn't what he was doing. Yeah. And, but he was still able to kind of make it happen because he's a very kind of experimental artist that would go where he felt like going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, he trusted that kind of going back to that, um, uh, that trust. I mean, he already had a career, right, that he created. But still, even from the start, right, he, he kept um, this is one of the things that um I work with my clients is how can you develop this, this feedback between you and the world, right? Because he was trying things and he said, yeah, this works and it feels good and I enjoy it. But then it's like, no, I, I, I want to try something else. And so he's just kind of going with the flow and interacting, right, with uh, himself and the world and kind of just going with what's coming from within. And who he needed to evolve into and become, right? Because yeah. so many, um, how many people do you know? I, I know a few. I am not one of those. I've had, I don't know, probably many, many different career lives myself, but there are people out there who say, I, years ago, I want to stay with this company. I'm going to stay with this company, get a job and retire from this company. All right. Mm -hmm. Then there are, you know, some people who kind of switch jobs a little bit. Right. And, um, but, but there are some people who say, yes, this is what I want to do. And some people just switch careers and that's okay. Right. So, Going back to how does it feel on the inside? Is this does this match? Does it feel good? And then having the guts and and the to be able to make those shifts. And Bowie did right. He he was listening to his inner guidance and and having some fun with it. I'm sure, right? Yeah, because I mean, what would happen is like you know you go from like in the record industry, you have something that sells like five million records. Then you do the next thing, it drops to a million. Then the company says you fail because yeah. the company bases your your performance on the thing that you yeah. made the most money. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. That what ends up happening is like he didn't really commercially succeed again until he did Let's Dance, mm -hmm. which was like in the eighties. Like yeah, it kind of finally hit kind of the Ziggy kind of numbers. Mm -hmm. And then people, say, well, he's not mm -hmm. ever going to ever hit that again because Ziggy is his zenith. And and then he did, and then they were all surprised like. Because he was like, he didn't really, like, what they didn't understand is, like, he was doing the art for the art. And if it happened to bring the audience along, that that's that's all gravy. Yeah. He wasn't one of these guys that's in the number. There's some artists, yeah. they chase the number, and they kind of repackage the same thing over and over to hit that number. And yeah. there's other artists that do it because they like playing. They, yeah. like, they like pushing the envelope. Yeah. They, like, try and reinvent themselves. You know, yeah. and then and when you do that... The audience sometimes you get a different audience. Yeah, you get an audience that yeah. likes your zenith moment, and they don't like the other moments. Mm -hmm. So you get, you know, they all all stay with you. And your know, yeah. authors find that because some authors mm -hmm. write 
romance and they want to write a murder mystery and then they want to write nonfiction. Sometimes they use a pseudonym because that audience won't follow them. So they yeah. got to create a different, a different yeah. character of those and people don't even know it's them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, it, it, it is interesting. And, um, to be able to say, yes, this is who I am and I'm just going to go for it and do it and be it. And, um, I, I think, you know, regardless of politics, right, I, I spent some a little bit of time in France. And one of the things that I, I love about the French, I used to date a French artist and I mm. uh, lived in Paris. And um, one of the things that I love about that culture is, number one, they celebrate life's smaller moments. Right. Mm -hmm. So talking about like, okay, we're going to make you a, not just coffee out of a Mr. Coffee. I have one of those, but um, we're going to make you a beautiful <laughs> cappuccino and draw something on the top. Right. And just those yeah, little right. sitting at a cafe. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that I really love about the French culture, besides their food and wine, um, is they put artists on the same caliber as other professionals. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. We tend not to do so, that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Doctors, attorney, like all the other people, like they put them on the same level. That was my experience when I was there and almost yeah. moved there. Um, so they have such an appreciation for, for art and for beauty and not that we don't right as, as Americans, but um, that was something I added to my playbook and I thought, wow, that's really cool. So going back to kind of chasing the numbers as artists, wouldn't it be great if artists didn't have to do that? And sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's, that's the dream. <laughs> that's yeah, the dream. Right? Like sometimes you find, that if you you have to kind of go for an audience that's worldwide because yes. like within the yeah. western dynamic like a lot of my music i let it hit the worldwide zone and yeah. i find that like other areas like i sometimes in asia or sometimes in like south america or even the middle east i'll get people digging what i'm doing more than what is going on in the u.s yeah and you, and that's why you kind of like you throw it at the wall at, you know, as an artist because you don't know which which region's going to dig what you're doing. Because yeah. sometimes you you have a melody that that triggers something in another culture you didn't even know you hit it, right? Yeah. You might have triggered a melody that triggers some Eastern appreciation mm -hmm. or some like appreciation from a different culture, a different you know social background. So when they hear it, yeah. it rings true to them. But yeah. where you are in your neck of the woods, like I live in New Hampshire, well. That doesn't ring true with anybody here, but it did with somebody else, right? So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. if I went by where I live, I probably wouldn't do what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Um, well, it, it something I hear in your uh, words, Phantom, is you're you're resilient, right? You 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 stay with it, and the other thing is you've you've got a positive outlook, right? I, I'm gonna throw it at the walls. If it sticks, great. If it doesn't, fine. But you know, and sometimes it does. And but you you keep you keep doing your thing, staying in the flow, staying positive, and 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 not being tied to the outcome that you're having with your music, right? But it's great when it is really cool and people love it, right? Yeah, but what I found also is like sometimes the numbers don't tell the whole story. And I'll give an example with this podcast yeah. one time. You know, I had an episode, didn't have a massive amount of views, but one of the people that viewed it was a Grammy award-winning producer. And then they <laughs> contacted me, and then we ended up having two episodes with them on the air. Oh. And it, so it kind of proves sometimes, like, just because your show doesn't get, you know, the biggest number doesn't mean it didn't have an impact. And yeah. it's kind of like this, you know, a lot of times mm. in music, sometimes there's this kind of, you know, legendary band, like, you know, the Velvet Underground mm. was a very, you know, Lou Reed. Mm. It, when he created that band, nobody bought them. They were commercial failures. Yeah. But the story is tons of producers and musicians bought those records. And when you get to like the 80s and 90s, you get bands like the Counting Crows and, uh, you know, the Replacements and all these REM 
name checking Lou Reed, saying that he was the inspiration for a whole generation of mm-hmm. indie artists. Wow. From like all the grunge artists to mm-hmm. like the replacements and the REM, they're all name checking Lou Reed and saying wow. he was their inspiration, but he was not a commercial success with the work that inspired mm-hmm. those people. Yeah. So that tells you that sometimes this because the number isn't yeah. the value of the work. Yeah. It is not the value. And and going back to like the, the purpose, like why do you do what you do, right? Lou Reed did what he did because he loved it. And he happened to make a huge difference in the lives of so many people. So not just those artists, but everybody who listened to their music, right? Yeah. And then later he got, you know, you know, Bowie picked up on his music. And that's kind of like when Bowie started. Yeah. Like what it's really interesting is like Bowie helped um, Lou have his big hit with Walk on a Wild Side. Bowie helped work on that production of that record. And Bowie... It has interviews where he said, Lou is my inspiration. And I was so kind of upset that the world didn't see him the way I saw him. There was this interview I saw where Bowie was saying, like, Lou Reed's my hero. Yeah. And they went here in the 70s, and I'm eating up all the Lou Reed stuff, and I'm telling everybody that this is the greatest stuff in the world. And then suddenly I get an opportunity to work with this guy that is my hero. So, like, Bowie was all kind of freaking out that he was working with his hero and and, and Lou was like, who's this guy? <laughs> and, and he's kind of like, and so, so he's out, doesn't know why Bowie's like falling all over himself. And and and, and he said, well, I'll let him, it's like, he's, he's the whoever, he's kind of hot today, so I'll let him do it. Like Bowie didn't, you know, and Lou didn't really know why they were together. They kind of got thrown together. Yeah. And, and then he came up and worked on that hit. And then that's how Lou got bigger. And it was oh, interesting because wow. it was kind of like this guy heard him and then made he was getting big and then he made yeah. him big. He made yeah. him bigger than he had ever been. And, wow. and they, they kind of made him the household name and everybody suddenly knew who he was. Wow. But it's yeah, like I, that, that's a strange thing that happens, you know. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, you just you never know. So if you close yourself off, right? You don't know what you're missing. And so yeah, Lou the- would have never had that opportunity if he had said, well, this isn't good enough. Yeah. Right. Then Bowie would have never found him and then he would have never had his future success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. W- was driven by the fact that he put this kind of non-commercial stuff out and then Bowie heard it. Yeah. And Bowie kind of thought he was an icon. This guy's great. And then suddenly it made that happen. It kind of wow. became self-fulfilling prophecy (laughs) yeah oh i love those stories i love those stories and you've had somebody at gram what's it yeah yeah i'm just saying that that's the kind of joy and happiness is like because somebody was willing like the joy of just putting the work out there yeah without the expectation that you're gonna get big that you just felt it was important yeah you know it's kind of like blake did with his uh songs of innocence and experience he put them on metal plates He's the one romantic poet, Victorian poet that wasn't known in his era. Nobody knew who he was. He was found after he he died because he put the songs of an interesting experience actually have artwork that goes with it on metal etchings. Every single poem has a picture that's on a metal etching. And that's how they were found in like a farmhouse after he was gone. And then he was considered, yeah, to be one of the greatest Victorian poets, but he wasn't known in his era. He's known in our mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is wild. <clears throat> you know, this whole, this whole conversation, Phantom, it makes me think like, um, how do people like, how do people feel that, that, um, uh, uh, Joseph Campbell calls it the, the rapture of being alive. Right. And how do they feel that? I mean, so music for you is one of those things, right? Cooking, right? Yeah, Exploring working, working, and doing cooking, yeah. finding that flow state. And um, one of the things that, that I mean, I, I work with a lot of people who work in the corporate world and may or may not have any kind of side hustle uh, hobbies going on, but, but accessing, getting the access to joy through the senses, right? helps mm-hmm. people uh, to get present in the moment, to be able to 
quiet that mind, right? To be able to really be fully present. And so um, cooking, wine tasting, uh, drawing, doing art, creating music. Yeah. What's your experience with, um, do you have anything else that kind of puts you in that kind of flow no. state, receptive state? Uh, well, I mean, I like to walk in nature, kind of like nature is the cathedral. I think Long, Long, Longfellow or Hawthorne mm -hmm. broke that. But the idea of um, just going out in a, in a walk in the pines, I live in New Hampshire, and I like to mountain bike. And yeah. I find that when I, I get into mountain biking, one thing about that, this, the, the thing about mountain biking, what happens is you get in this joy of being able to have the skill of being able to stay on the bike when you're going down a dry, dry creek bed. Right. So you're wow. going, you're coming up a creek bed, you're going down a creek bed and being able to maneuver through things that people don't think you should be able to ride over. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it becomes this thing where like you have all this noise in the world, but when you're on the bike, it's all about mm -hmm. just staying on the bike, right? Yeah. Making sure that you can stay on it. You can climb the hill. You can come down the hill. Yeah. So you can make it through all the obstacles and you don't get kicked off. Yeah. And that becomes this kind of like joy in the fact that you have this gotten the skill to kind of be in that moment on that bike. And then you can't think about the corporate world. You can't think about your music. You can't think about anything else other than staying on the bike. Yeah. And not getting thrown off. <laughs> yeah. And you're not texting or <laughs> doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. Because like if you, so you're not thinking about anything. You're just right there with your bike. You're one with your bike, one with the environment, and you're just you're navigating that. Wow. I um I used to get that. I used to have a motorcycle a number of years ago, and um, yeah, I I was like that on my bike at least when I well started riding for a while, right? I mean, I I wasn't I wasn't anywhere else, and I think that's why um it. Uh, I don't mountain bike, but I, I commend you and I'm, it's beautiful up in New Hampshire, but, um, right. Something where you, you, you're doing something either because you have to focus, right. A surgeon maybe, but, um, mountain biking, right. A motorcycle where you have to stay fully present or there are consequences, right. And then yeah. <laughs> doing activities, right. It's like, Ooh, um, doing activities that actually bring you, uh, joy and you want to be fully present and there aren't such, I mean, uh, huge implications, right. If you're making a loaf of bread or you're making your cookies, right. If you don't pay yeah. attention to the oven, yeah, they're going to burn. You're not going to fall off and break a collarbone. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a different thing. It's like, there's some, yeah. one of them's a higher risk, you know, it's like yeah. if you're out there, you know, on a motorcycle or a snowmobile or you're downhill skiing, you've got to be focused in that moment. It kind of becomes this like zone. You're in yeah. that zone and you have to be aware of your yeah. surroundings and aware of what you are. You can't zone out. Like I could be mm -hmm. zoning out when I bake, get distracted, burn the whole batch, forget <laughs> to put the sugar. Yeah. yeah, it comes out too salty. It's like, oh, well, that's not a big end of the world. Yeah. But um, on, when you're biking or motorcycling or you're jet skiing, it's like if you don't do it right, like you wipe out. Mm -hmm. So you wipe out, that's a to wipe it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got some got some big impact there. Um yeah, I, I, I think that uh, the people can access joy. One of the big things is, um, in my experience, Phantom, is giving themselves permission, right? It's like you yeah. give yourself permission daily, right? Because you have your studio right here. So you give yourself permission. It's baked into your life. And you, so, but so many people... Um, a lot of people can't say, answer that question, what brings them joy. Right. And so again, the reservoir here for me is what, what I help people bolster, but, um, but really being able to, uh, answer the question, what brings you joy. And then also how, how do you, even if you know what brings you joy and you're not doing those things or experiencing those things, like what can you do to access that? Right. So that's a, that's a big thing that I think I don't, I, our culture certainly seems to struggle with in my experience. So yeah, a lot yeah. of people like they they kind of numb their their joy by doing things that actually don't really bring them joy. Like, like a lot of times yeah. it's it's numbing agents and they yep. think that's joy, but they're basically yeah. trying to stop from feeling. 
because they've been disappointed. And so they're not embracing feeling, right? And whether they're using like a sex addiction or substance addiction, gambling addiction, it's, it's, they're trying to like get away from the real problem. Yeah. They they don't, they're not Mm. looking in what the poets used to call a looking glass, right? And Mm. actually seeing that other you. You know, yeah. a lot of what I yeah. love about the Victorian poets is that's what they challenge themselves in a lot of their work is in that mm-hmm. looking glass, what is going on? Yeah. And in those pieces, a lot of them are about how you resolve that other you. Mm-hmm. And how do you mm-hmm. handle the feelings that that other you is is is, yeah. is bringing and they realize mm-hmm. that that is you and, and yeah. actually address yeah. what that issue is. <laughs> Yeah. And those feelings, I mean, those feelings really do range in my experience. They can be, um, there can be some anger and rage. There can be some shame, you know, for picking a life and living a life that doesn't really resonate. Right. Um, it could be even like under those layers, right. It could be some sadness, right. Uh, of gosh, or grieving. Like I, I, I always love to do that. And why am I not doing that anymore? And so there's some sadness. So really coming to terms with the emotions is huge, huge. That's yeah. what I love about, um, you know, songwriting is I can address, and it's a very cathartic for me because mm-hmm. then I can, I can address head on like a melancholy moment or a tragic moment or painful moment whether it's me or something I read in the news. So a lot mm-hmm. of times artists like we, we can take our own experiences and turn them into a piece, or I can read about something that happened to somebody else and turn that into a piece because you have yeah. this empathy. Yeah. So you can take a lot of stories that resonate with you or stories that are your story and then kind of change it around. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact is you can take those feelings and turn them into a piece. Yeah. Whether, yeah. whether what type of artist, and I think that's what everybody does. And like, you know, even when I've met like therapists and life coaches, their creative capability is to listen to somebody, mm. listen to their unique story and then apply the right, mm. infor- right, right, like therapies or the right mm-hmm. tool to actually <clears throat> help resolve that because they've lived through something similar and they can see the parallels and they can ad- address, but they address based on that person's unique situation and they know how to read it yeah that's just like the creative capability of a therapist (laughs) yeah i i think it it, it's interesting because um i think that uh therapists coaches coaching is it's it's not classical music it's jazz and so being able to mm-hmm. like you said right before we got on i may riff I'm, i may go off and and kind of talk a little bit more about where we're going i may not stay on the script and um so so that is that's the creative flow right that's conversation that's creative flow and again i think for me it giving giving oneself permission to be able to access those acknowledge them access them and um and not be afraid of the feelings because guess what those feelings if they're squashed long enough in somebody's life they show up in your body right your mm-hmm. your body doesn't you get, doesn't lie and all kinds of yeah you, if you don't up, you know? yeah if you don't listen then you get diseases you know you get symptoms you get you know, failures in your systems. Like you start to have organ failures, you get, you know, all kinds of issues with arthritis and all kinds of other issues. Like, so people don't listen to their body because they're pushing things down. And then, then they end up with the physical ailments, Yeah. you know, and you end up with mental ailments and you get end up with people that kind of blow up at some inopportune moment because they never addressed till it Mm. gets to a critical mass and then it goes. Yeah, and you're walking bombs. He's like, he's like, you don't need to be a walking bomb. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't need those. Uh, you know what I hear for you, fandom again is that you give your creativity a voice, right? You you tell your own story. You also read something in the newspaper, and you can tell that story, right? So, um, but you give it a voice, which is really yeah, I think that's, amazing. That's all, all I think all writers do that. Like whether you're, yeah. you know, you're writing a, a movie or a novel or a short story or a poem, that our ability is to project sometimes yeah. what we know, and then we research and figure out like maybe something that we don't know, right? And mm-hmm. then try to apply it, create somebody that's not you. 
Yeah. Because a lot of times it's yeah. not just all you. You have to build that novel. You build all those characters. They're not all you. Yeah. So you had to figure out how, how do I create somebody that's not me? Yeah. That's interesting. You yeah. know, and so yeah. and songwriters, we do that all the time too. So it's the same mm -hmm. idea. It's the same kind of pull. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's just fun to me. It's just yeah. fun to build those worlds and build what I call sound paintings mm. and, you know, or sound movies or like, I you know, know, they're basically these like soundscapes and, and, and they really you know, designed to draw you in and then the audience mm -hmm. kind of owns it. I put it out yeah. there and then they own it. Yeah. I had yeah. an original idea and then they, whoever hears it gets to interpret it. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. Oh my gosh. It's so I, I can keep talking with you, Phantom. I know um I know I think yeah, we're approaching the end of the I actually your went show. over. <laughs> yeah, I think my other <laughs> guest is might be waiting for me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Waiting for me now. But um uh so uh, <laughs> that's okay because they, they yeah. I think they'll wait. But um but thank you again for being on the show. It always goes by so fast. I always sometimes I forget and I forgot my cue to like end a little earlier, but um yeah, remember, uh, I want the audience to click on rainabach.com and, uh, you know, check that out. We're fully clickable. I do appreciate you were on the show tonight. Sorry we have to kind of end that now, but we do have another show coming up. But um, thank you again. I think we had a great conversation. Yeah, Phantom, thank you so much. And I want to wish you happy holidays. If anybody is struggling with the holiday stress, I have a free webinar coming up on December 19th uh, at noon Mountain Time called Reassess, Recalibrate, Revive. Oh, great. I think everybody should check that out because they holidays yeah. do get the holiday blues and we'll check it out. Yeah, for sure. Well, Phantom, thank you so much. It, what a gift, what you do to, for the world. So thank you. Thank you. All Have right. a good night. I'm going to say so long. Thank you. Oh, I got to go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>